Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lord. And I'm Michael. Well, we got a huge two-parter for you. We're going back to the mob world and covering the guy, the name yes. that comes to mind first when you think of the mob and you think of mobsters and organized crime, mm-hmm. the big man Al Capone. Man, the biggest guy of the big guys, bro. Yeah. Probably yeah, the most uh, famous famous gangster of all time, maybe. The original Scarface. It mm-hmm. sucks because it's like that that name has been overtaken by the film Scarface. That's what I think of. When I think of Scarface, I think of Al Pacino. Say hello to my right. little friend. I don't think of uh, Al Capone. No, Ironically, no. both named Al, but... Uh, I, and I think... But I think Al Capone would be glad about that. He didn't. He wasn't a big fan of the of the nickname. True. He hated Un- that nickname. <laughs> but why? What a badass nickname! But the way right. that yeah, he, he got it, embraced though. it as a yeah. But he wanted this good guy image, you know, yeah. like that. I guess that's the mark of a great successful uh, mobster is like mob boss is you keep this outward persona of like you're a good guy helping the helping the people and all yeah. that. But. It, well, yeah. it's the I think the way he got it too, you know, it was kind of a smudge on his record. The way he got the facial scars, which we'll talk about if you guys aren't aware. I don't even think so, dude. I mean, wh- whatever he like hit on some, uh, you know, some big names, fucking yeah. sister. What's yeah. what's so shameful about that? It's kind of cool in a way. It's like he well, was not even scared to do to like hit on this guy's sister right in front of him, even though this guy was like a way bigger deal than he was at the time. Well, first off, he didn't know that it was the guy's sister. He thought she was probably there alone. I'm pretty sure he was hitting on her while he was sitting at the table and he knew who that guy was. I'm pretty sure yeah, he knew what he was doing. Well, the reason I think that he felt bad for it and didn't like it was because he never retaliated for this guy. He he literally like they, you know, they made amends. Yeah. And he never he never retaliated even when he became this big powerful mob boss. He never well, that retaliated. That was the mark of Capone as well. Um that was one thing he was known for is like he would he, the the one reporter guy that he ends up like having beat almost to death by his mm-hmm. guys, he ends up paying for his medical bills. <laughs> like that was yeah. his thing. Like he was like, I'm still a good guy, even though I almost killed you. Right. You know, he's like he's guy. like the American Pablo Escobar. I, I, you yeah. can't hate him completely, right? He yeah. did a lot of good for the community. He was a modern day Robin Hood, a lot like Pablo. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, how much of it he did for the persona as opposed to like because he wanted to do it because he was a good guy at heart. Does that matter? That's up for debate, but whatever, yeah. Well, like remember that one time on JTB when we had the debate about what makes a good person and I said and we were talking about is Your it actions, better if right? not yeah, what is, you think. Exactly. Is it better if a person does the actions because they want to or better because they know it's good but they don't really want to? Which is better? And you argued that a, a bad person doing something good was better because it's harder for them, right? And they're doing it anyways. <laughs> so, so here you go. Here's your, <laughs> yeah. here's your real life scenario. It's right? harder for them because they're bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's what we talked about. Remember? And yeah. I was arguing that, you know, like, no, a, a genuinely good person who just wants to do good things all the time, I think, is a, is a better person. Like yeah. they're further along. Right? I do think that's annoying when someone is like a fuck up their whole life, and then like they they redeem themselves to an extent, and then they they do one good thing. They're like held to a higher regard than someone who was good their whole fucking life. You know what I mean? Yep. Never. Never did any bad. Like the, we, everyone loves a comeback yeah. story so almost too much to the point where you're like, all right, like cool. I'm glad he got his shit together, and now he's not a fuck up. But like, do yeah. we have to now put him above someone who like was like a good person the whole time? Oh my For god, real? dude, that's what yes. we do. Like, I agree with that 110. Like in churches, it, 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 churches are a great example. 
Like if somebody comes yeah. in and they've lived a hard life and they've, you know, I was addicted to drugs, but God pulled me out. And I was it's like, they're, they're put up on a pedestal. I'm like, wait a second. We got people in this congregation that have been good yeah. their whole lives. Never touched this yeah. shit. Why are we not putting them up? Yeah. Like they're facing the same temptation as this guy. Right. You know? Never fornicated, never adulterated, right. never did any of that shit. This guy's out running around fucking everybody, and all of a sudden he comes clean, and now he's better than me? Fuck that. Right? You got motherfuckers that can recite the Bible backwards, and they're like, no, fuck this guy. Right. <laughs> this guy ain't nobody. Right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're right. If, if you're a horrible person and you do something good, then everybody's like, oh, wow, he's just a big teddy bear. Just yep. a big teddy bear. Yeah, and there was people in the oh. public that probably looked at Capone uh, in that light a little bit. But no let's doubt. get into it, man. Let's start part one of our part two series. Um, yeah. Thanks once again, Andy, for a fantastic crime line. Absolutely. Um, very detailed, and you guys are going to see on the other side as we dive into part one, the early life of Al Capone. Let's get into it. Here we go. You can call a big guy Al Brown or Capone. Call him Al Never macaroni, because I fed my cat. into it al capone aka al aka the big guy aka capone aka snorky <laughs> which was the name that he preferred which i think snorky. is pretty crazy yeah snorky we'll get back we'll, it, we'll circle back around to snorky yeah. in a minute let's, let's i got more back. to say about that yeah. but aka uh al brown aka albert costa aka scarface of course um of course and uh, but like the, the snorky thing so apparently that was like that was looked at as someone who dressed well, right? Or someone who was mm-hmm. like a well put together person. But I like I was like, that's what I heard in the crime line and in like the the book that I read and stuff like that. Yes. I'm almost like that, that's an old term, I guess. That's just been lost because when I looked up Snorky, I found the Urban Dictionary modern version of what Snorky means, which is literally to be horny for snow. Typically happens to skiers or snowboarders as winter approaches. When the weather forecast calls for a big storm, they get Snorky. Whoa, that's a niche term. 
That's a super <laughs> niche term. I bet that's like right. only in the Midwest or something. Only right? in Colorado. Congratulations Colorado, to the yeah. Avalanche and Colorado people that are big fans of the NHL. The guys got their yeah. first cup in the last 22 years. and So they get, so they cool. get snorky. Huh? They, they really want some snow. I never yeah. get snorky. No, I, I never get snorky. <laughs> uh, I get snorky from time to time. Do you? Do, I yeah. like snow. I like snow, but I'm always like, eh, it's here. I might as well enjoy it. That's my attitude towards snow. That's but your I'm attitude like, towards like a lot of stuff. Do what? That's like that's your attitude towards a lot of stuff. Like holidays, you don't get snorky for holidays either. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Definitely not holidays. Definitely not. Not the the traditional stuff doesn't get doesn't get Michael going. No, not really. You got to bring a little more to the table. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Something a little right, more exciting. So we went through the the many nicknames that he had. I think the big guy is my favorite. I don't know. I just like when I think big of him, guy? I think of like the big Yeah, because like the boss, you know, the boss and the mob is always like, I watch a lot of, I've been rewatching Sopranos. It's fucking amazing. It's even better than I thought it was. So good. Yeah. But like they're always calling him big man or big guy, you know, like yeah, yeah. Tony Soprano is one of the bosses, obviously not the guy, but I don't know. It just, it just makes sense to me. But uh, Scarface doesn't click at all with me with him just like i said because it's been the the film was just too much of uh our pop culture growing up like it's just yeah you think of scarface you think of al pacino it overshadowed so. him a little bit too much the al pacino character was so so i don't know like Engrossing. charismatic and over the top and it just mm-hmm. you didn't feel like al capone was like that yes he was a flashy dresser and yes he liked to be seen but i don't feel like he was quite as Quite as, he wasn't uh, as much of a showman. Yeah, yeah, not quite as extravagant as, he, well, as Al Pacino. Pacino's character in Scarface embraced the bad guy thing, and we already talked about Capone didn't want that. It, he wanted to be seen as like a you know a hero for the people type of thing. Yeah, he wanted to straddle that line. Like I say, with Pablo yeah. Escobar, it's like they knew that they're doing bad things, but they don't like to hear people say bad things about them. So they like yeah, to have a good to, public at least, opinion. Like, if it was known to someone that he did something bad, he at least like wanted it known that he felt bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I had to do that thing, but what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? What else was I supposed to do? I mean, it's kind of like when he got the scar, you know, hitting on that guy's sister. Yeah. He kind of felt bad about it at the end. I think he did. Yeah. 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 All right. So oh, wow. let's let's get into the episode officially here. Right. Um, if you guys checked out our latest Sandu stories over on Patreon, you may have picked a, picked up on the fact that we've been a, in a bit of a mob vibe lately. Yeah. Uh, so figure it was time to do the big guy himself, Al Capone. Without a doubt, the most famous gangster in American, if not world history. Capone ruled over an empire of organized crime in Chicago during Prohibition. He was t- a tough and scrappy kid from Brooklyn who was ready to throw hands at the drop of a hat even against his teachers. Uh, <laughs> yes. He ended up reigning supreme over one of the most dangerous and bloodiest uh, times in Chicago's history. Climbing up through the ranks of organized crime in both New York and uh, Chicago, Capone's rise to the top left more than just a legacy and spot in the Gangster Hall of Fame. It left a trail of blood and bodies through the streets that police had, uh, that had police and federal agencies scrambling for possible shred of evidence that could finally dethrone the untouchable king of Chicago. And if you know anything about Capone or the mob, you know it was ultimately the IRS that took him down, right? Because uh, he was too good at you know staying far away from the actual street crimes that uh, got him to his power. You know, once you get to a certain level yeah. within the mob, then you have this gap and distance between yourself and the crimes that are going on that that keep your power and bring you in that money, right? And not um, only that, you're paying you. off. You're paying off everyone in authority. Ugh, you know, yeah, half the police forces on your payroll, yeah. the judges. No so it has to be somebody higher than that, right? Yeah. It has to be the government. Yeah. When you get to that level, yeah. only the government can take you down. 
Yeah. And that's, and, that's and what we like see with Anytime you do go on trial, you're either getting rid of witnesses or threatening people on the jury. Right. And it's just really hard for them to actually convict you. Yeah, who wants you know, to testify against... The... Yeah, who wants to testify against Scarface, bro? Nobody. Exactly. Yep. Uh, there's a reason there's been multiple films and TV shows about this larger-than-like uh, character. He has the focus of countless books, documentaries, and news stories. Um, we'll do our best to give you a detailed overview of all the parts of his life, from him making a name for himself in the streets of Brooklyn through when he was running the streets of Chicago up until he was shitting his, the sheets of his bed in this Florida state in his, <laughs> in his final days, thanks to right. uh, our old friend Syphilis. That's right. That's right. So without further ado, let's get into the early life and the upbringing of the OG gangster Al Capone. Let's do it. He was born Alfonso Capone on January 17th, 1899 in Brooklyn, New York, and has, it's hard to wow. argue that this isn't the best group of celebrities surrounding a, 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 a person we focused on. He shares a birthday with Betty White, who we just lost, right? and is you know one of the starlings. Uh, you know, Really, who doesn't love Betty White? A golden you know, girl I, forever. I watched a shitload of golden girls growing up. Hell like yeah. A shocking amount. Yeah, that uh, that show is like really edgy and creative. Honestly, yeah. it gets overlooked. That's no, really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also shares a birthday with Steve Harvey, Jim Carrey. I mean, come on, God Muhammad my. Ali, James Jesus. Earl Jones, and of course himself, Al Capone, who's one right. of the biggest names, if not the biggest, on this list still. God, I don't know. Bigger than Muhammad Ali, bro. <sighs> I know. Right? I don't know. Jim Muhammad Carrey. Ali. Jim, yeah, Jim Carrey. I mean, Jim God. Carrey, Dude, Honestly, still, all, all like, of these he's, people he's, are household names. Jim Carrey's the shit, dude. Like he really is. I, have you seen the new Sonic movies? They're totally watchable no. because of him. Like they're actually fucking good and funny because of him. Of course, of course. Without him, the movies would suck ass. But like he's just so good in them. It's, I, it's I amazing. Just, I, yeah, the more the older Jim Carrey gets, the more I like him. And I loved him as a kid. Like I absolutely yeah. love Jim Carrey movies. Anything with Jim Carrey in it. Freaking liar, liar! The mask, Ace Ventura. You know, I was watching Dude, all that shit. But like, not now, a dud in the, in the group. Yeah, even his serious movies, like Eternals, yeah. Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, the Truman Show. The Truman Show is yeah. great. I mean, the dude is... And then Some now, of these, uh, he's an amazing The best artist. comedic actors in the 90s have become amazing uh, dramatic actors. Like, you yes. see Adam Sandler's films that he's been putting out on Netflix. They're fantastic. He's so much better nowadays yeah. as a dramatic actor than he is a comedic actor now. It's weird. It is. It is. It's a cool thing, though, to see him. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Al Capone was one of nine children born to Gabriel... Or Gabriel... Gabriel, sorry. Gabriel. His father, Gabriel, and Teresa Capone, uh, who had immigrated to America from Italy in 1893. So they immigrated just uh, six years before his birth. He was the first child of theirs that was born in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and after landing in New York, as millions of others would during this time period, the couple would find their home in the up-and-coming Brooklyn borough of New York City. I'd say that's up-and-coming, for sure. Oh, yeah. We, we've all heard of New York City, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, while not the eldest of the children, Al was the first of the couple to have born, been born on American soil, and he would grow up in a working-class household, and like most people from an immigrant family at the time, they had many mouths to feed and not much money to do with it. So his, his parents, uh, Gabriel and Teresa, had both come from a small town called Angry, which was just outside of Naples, Italy, and mm-hmm. there in, in uh, Angry, uh, Gabriel had worked as a barber and Teresa as a seamstress. Um, both of which they continued to do in America. So they were that was a you know those were good skills to have that Very. transferred just perfectly over into America. They picked up work. 
No doubt. Um, Everybody needs haircuts in their clothes. Yeah, those are still very, uh, you know, very sought after. Common like, jobs in to demand. this day. I mean, yeah, it's still something you can do. Dude, I would cut hair if I could cut my own. If I could learn how to cut my own hair and it would save me money, I would definitely learn how to cut hair. Yeah. Absolutely. It just never turns out quite right, right, when you try to do it yourself. <laughs> no, you can't see the back. You can't see the back. Yeah, it's, it's like those you... clothes from Ross. It's like something's a little off with this thing. I can see why it ended up here. It's like so one side's a little tighter than the other. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> one sleeve's too short. I don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, one shoe's a little smaller than the other. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah. So the couple's eldest son, Capone's parents, uh, their oldest son, James, his older brother, uh, would be born into angry before they would ever leave for America. And he was an interesting character, completely the antithesis yeah. of his younger brother who would become infamous. He was uh, well-known himself for the opposite reason. He would right. end up leading his life in the complete opposite manner that his notorious younger sibling would. Um, and so th- this, let's get into his life real quick. And, and it was such a stark contrast. To it is. We brother. could do an episode just on uh, James here. That was his brother's yeah, name, James Capone. Interesting dude. Yeah. So James Capone would leave his home at the age of 16 and join a traveling circus as a roustabout, which is basically just uh, someone who generally helps out with no real defined skill set. So like a helping hand mm-hmm. within the circus. During this time, he would start work uh, work hard on masking his Brooklyn accent to help hide his Italian heritage. So he was basically ashamed of his Italian heritage, it seemed. Well, they probably uh, got or, discriminated against. Or he just against. thought that, it, yeah, I was going to say, or he just felt that that was going to be the best way for him to make his make his name or make his money in America was to just ditch that heritage. Because like you said, it was, it was, it was, uh, not something that was, um, celebrated at the yeah. time in America. It was a mark of shame, essentially right. to be, especially an, out an West Italian immigrant. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So many uh, Italian immigrants were treated poorly as well, as well as Irish immigrants during this time and pre- were, uh, discriminated against. Right. Uh, but after world war one ended, James moved out West to Homer, Nebraska, where he would not only, uh, officially change his name, but everything about himself would be completely made new. He would then go by uh, the name Richard James Hart. Very white and American sounding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he, it's yeah, very clean going, sounding. You know what I mean? Richard yeah. Hart. Dick like, Hart. Just sounds like somebody you can trust. Yeah. Yeah, so he was uh, basically, be he would be made himself into a cowboy from Oklahoma named Richard Hart, who had worked in the circus, breaking horses and cattle. He hid his New York accent with a thick Southwest draw, dressed in Western-style clothing, including 10-gallon hats and a six-shooter on each hip. So rocking two guns. Right, right. But he really did work uh, for the circus, though. Some of his some of yeah. his backstory seems to be made up, but he really did work in the circus. We don't know what he mm-hmm. did, though, per se. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just like we mentioned, a helping hand. Maybe he did work with some of the livestock while he was in the circus a little I'm bit. sure he did. Yeah, probably shoveling uh, shit and whatnot. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, James, now going by Richard, would tell people that he had served in Europe during the war and would regale people with tales of his bravery and hero- heroism. However, this is a disputed claim after further investigation later would find no record of him ever serving. But it's not clear whether they, you know, the people that searched for his record in the war used his you know, changed name, Richard Hart, or his uh-huh. original name, James Capone. So it's possible that he did actually serve. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're dealing with, uh, you know, early early 20th century, late 19th, late 19th century, so there's not as much records. Right, right. And the World War One was messy. There's a lot of people that lost their lives and a lot of people that just, a lot, a lot of, you know, documentation could get squirrely yes. in a war like that. So who knows? Um this persona and his stories, whether true or not, nonetheless carried him to the position of town marshal or Homer rather quickly. So the old fake it till you make it routine. 
You could do so, that back then, dude. You, you know? Yeah, you could roll into a town the, and just completely lie about where you were from, who you were, what your name was, and make your way to Marshall real quick if you right. made the, li- made the mean, right friends and li- made, told the right lies. You know, Look what Frank Abagnale was able to do in the 70s. Imagine what, yeah, <laughs> what exactly. this guy could do in the 20s. Yeah. Like It's just not fair, man. Too bad we didn't live in that time. We could be excellent con men. Right. <laughs> we could go around saying we're the number one podcast in the world and no one could fucking say They'd be otherwise. Like, what? what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> People still do that shit to me here now. <laughs> right. Um so shortly after swearing in as Marshall, Hart would soon be uh, become federal uh, also become a federal prohibition agent in nineteen twenty. Uh oh. And began a somewhat glamorous career in law enforcement. Ironically, because you consider his younger brother would make his bones uh on the opposite end of prohibition. Selling, right. selling alcohol under uh, the authorities' nose. Allegedly, they didn't know about each other. I just can't believe that. Right? Did they not communicate with their parents at all? Did that like write back and right? You know, I don't know. It's odd. There was no Thanksgiving uh, dinners. There were they. Right. Capone walks in with his gangster dress, and then yeah. this dude's he's like, coming in with his cowboy hat and his fucking. He's like complaining about the prohibition <laughs> shit. It's yeah. Fucking fucking lawman, <laughs> making everything illegal. He's like, oh wait right. a minute now. <laughs> Pulls out some homemade fucking whiskey or whatever. <laughs> yeah. oh, so, uh, so Hart would still uh, would bust up still operations and bootleggers with a shoot first, ask questions later attitude, while continuing to carry his dual six shooters on his hips, earning him the nickname of Two Gun Hart. Oh wow, double guns, baby! Right? I mean, who didn't carry two guns? You only carried one gun back then. You're an idiot, right? Come on. Do you think I, I get the feeling Capone didn't even? Like when he got to his height of power, I don't think he carried one at all. Like I think he just had he was think? surrounded by security. I'm saying when he got to the point, like in Chicago, where he was the guy. Yeah, I don't think there was a need for him to even carry one. Probably not. Probably not. But I still would though. I mean, you got to go to the bathroom by yourself, right? And and somebody of that caliber, I'd at least carry like a little snub nose or something in my coat pocket. Yeah. So back to his brother for a second. After earning some notoriety as a Prohibition cowboy, Hart would transfer to the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs, where he would travel from reservation to reservation, immersing himself in the cultures by learning the languages and customs, all while focusing his efforts on the illegal production of alcohol that had started occurring on native lands. Richard and Al would stay out of each other's lives, as you mentioned, until 1939, after Al had served his prison sentence and Richard had fallen on some hard times. So until their later years, Mm -hmm. um, apparently they were kind of oblivious to each other. And Richard later said that he only learned of his brother's criminal activities once he read about it in the newspapers. So I was oblivious to the fact that, you know, the type of guys he was after was the type of guy his brother was. I mean, it's possible. They were across the country from each other. You know, Al's in Chicago. He's in Nebraska or Oklahoma or wherever the hell. So Mm -hmm. it is possible. It ain't like they were keeping up with each other on Facebook. So it is possible that they had no idea about each other. Yeah. So let's get back to Al. Like we mentioned before, Al was the first child of, Gab- of Gabriel and Teresa to have been born in America, but he was the fourth of the litter. One of the one of the children of the of the bunch was a daughter named Ermina, who would pass away at, the, at about a year old. I mean, that's mm. not that shocking for the no. time. That's if you had seven kids and all of them made it to adulthood during that time, it was pretty incredible, really. Absolutely. With it's all astounding. the disease and yeah, lack of modern medicine and everything. Right. So shortly after Al's birth, to the, uh, the the family would move into 38 Garfield Place in Park Slope, which Al would consider to be his childhood home and one that would remain t- uh, tied to the Capone family for years to come. And there was later rumors that Al had hid money inside the walls of the home and around the other properties he'd owned, but none of it was ever found. <laughs> no, because his family knew about it too. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, <laughs> they know. probably emptied I mean, it, emptied the walls and whatnot. If prior. he wanted to take care of his community, he definitely took care of his family. You got to know that. Yeah. So Al would live a somewhat average life in the early years of his childhood. He was he was a good student uh, in his early years. Mm-hmm. Um, he attended the local uh, primary school seven and then primary school 133 in Brooklyn up until the sixth grade. And it was at this time at the age of 14 that the world would get its first taste of the type of man that uh, young Al would grow into. As when he was being reprimanded by a teacher one day, the teacher struck Al. Very commonplace for this mm-hmm. time period. That you was know, normal, teachers yeah. Were constantly hitting kids, yeah. Hitting them with rulers um, and shit. They weren't used to getting hit back, though, and this <laughs> teacher would get a taste of that. Uh, um, some do- some teachers often hit their hit their students, as we know, but Al being Al wasn't going to let that shit stand, and the younger uh, teenager reached up and slapped the teacher right back when she struck him. Dude, that's crazy. Uh, a kid would go to prison for that now, go to juvie, like straight to juvie. <laughs> Wouldn't even be like, no. Not if the teacher hit them first. Everybody would celebrate the kid in this school. Oh, that's now. true. Yeah, now teachers. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I forgot yeah. teachers can't even hit now. Right. Yeah, true, true. Uh, uh, ironically, this only got Al sent to the principal's office where he was once again struck by his headmaster, <laughs> possibly with a paddle. So. And he beat his ass too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. He then took the paddle and beat the, the headmaster to death. <laughs> right. No. Um, oh, so, so after this incident, young Al would never return to school and would seek the rest of his education on the mean streets of Brooklyn. This is a, just a dude that yeah just didn't like listening to people, and I, I, I can see how school would rub yeah. him the wrong way. Yeah. Like, an incident like this, like, I'm not taking this shit. I'm just going to find my own way. Yeah. A lot of people like that feel like they're held back by school. And they might be right. He would never be who he is today. Hard if, to argue when you see where he ended up. We wouldn't I even mean, be talking about him if he didn't leave school at 14. Let's be real. Exactly. Yeah. We're not saying if there's any kids listening that you should drop out of school and, and go into a life of crime. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> no, no. It was a different age. It was a different age at the time, right? That's, that's we're right. Talking about that's the 20s right. here. Or even even earlier at this point. So right. Al would begin to work odd jobs around town just to try and make ends meet. Uh, a 14-year-old at the beginning of the 20th century, as we know, uh, it was not a fo- like a 14-year-old in today's age. Uh, you were basically a grown-ass man by the time you were 14. Yes. Um, in the early 1900s. And, like, I mean, they were going off to war, smoking cigarettes. It's like, it was, oh, yeah. like we said, a different in different years. Um so he worked a bunch of odd jobs around town. Uh, he worked in a candy store, a munitions factory, a bowling alley, and even a bookmaking shop. All of this time, however, once Al was out of school, he began making his real money on the side while being a member of a local kid gang, which were pretty popular at the time. These, these gangs of misfit ch- yeah. youths just running around creating havoc. They had nothing these to deli- do, man. Yeah, dude. Right now, there's no TikTok, no uh, <laughs> no TikTok, no screen, no video games at home, man. You're just right? out there. Your no parents, Grand Theft sure Auto. That, you just go do it yeah. in real life. Right. <laughs> uh, these delinquent gangs of children roamed the streets of New York in the early 1900s, committing petty crimes like theft and vandalism, and of course, occasional occasional mugging. Can you imagine, dude? You're just walking down the street, and this fucking gang of like 12 year olds just come up and assault you and take right? your shit. Well, I just like to do? think I just start dropping them, man. Just I guess one yeah. after another. Yeah, you'd have to, right? Like, I, they may get me if there's enough of them, but a few of them are getting fucked up. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's gonna right. happen. Right. They're twelve, <laughs> bro. I'm throwing this. a couple of them, dude. Like. Yeah, you're, you're gonna get messed up. Um, so two gangs that Al was a member of during this time were the South Brooklyn Rippers and the Forty Thieves Juniors. Okay, yeah, we need to make. Yeah, that's that would be a cool T-shirt. Forty, the Forty Thieves Juniors. Forty, th- yeah. The South Brooklyn like Rippers sounds like a what, badass but... name too, though. Right? That's 
Dude, if you're gonna start a like a softball team, adult softball team, consider this shit, right? <laughs> Dude, maybe my fantasy football team. One of the fantasy football teams I have this season is gonna be one yeah. of these South the, Brooklyn Rippers. There you go. Something like that. That's dope. Yeah. So it was around the age of 16 when Al would meet the man who would be his mentor and coach, so to speak, in the world of organized crime, a man named Johnny Torrio. Johnny mm-hmm. Torrio, or Giovanni Torrio, was born near Naples, Italy in 1882. His mother then brought him to New York when he was two years old, and for the majority of his youth, he grew up around brothels uh, and other less reputable spots. He was he made his bones in the uh, in the brothel world. He was mm-hmm. This guy knew brothels maybe better than anyone. Yeah. Torrio would become a, a local brothel slash salon keeper when he was only a teenager, and he would wor- also work his way up through the ranks of the local gang called the James Street Boys, becoming the leader of the gang in a short period of time. But his largest contribution to the gang was allying with them to to uh, with the much larger, more powerful Five Points Gang, mm. which has become pretty infamous over the years Wait. as well. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to say Gangs of New York comes to mind. Yes. Yes. What um, a great movie. We should definitely do an episode. I was going to say, we should definitely do an episode on Bill the Butcher. Yes, Bill the Daniel Butcher. Day I couldn't Lewis. remember Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, character's name off the top of my yeah. head, but yes. Based off a real man named William Poole, Bill yes. the Butcher's character. That would be a great episode to do is a Build a Butcher Ooh. episode as well. Seriously. I'd love to rewatch that movie anyways. Any yeah, reason. A little, bit more, a little bit more on the Five Points Gang. It was founded by Italian immigrant Paul Kelly and would claim such legendary gangsters as Al Capone, Bugsy Siegel, and even the King of Las Vegas himself, Lucky Luciano, among some of its more notable members. And as we mentioned, if anyone's seen the movie Gangs of New York, this is the same five points area that the film centered around. Mm-hmm. And the gangs that are in the movie were real and eventually part of the overall five points gang. I think that was based off the more early times before they unified and whatnot, right? Yeah, that would when be like late 1800s, over, I think. Yeah, they were they were fighting more over like heritage. It was like the Irish versus the, the Italians, Italians, I think, at the whatnot. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just for an example of what kind of battles and fights these gangs have ultimately had during this time period around the early 1900s, founder Paul Kelly and James Street Gang leader Joe Torrio were once engaged in an all-out gun battle with around 50 other Five Points gang members against similar numbers from the rival Eastman crew. Can you imagine? 50. <laughs> 50 on 50, 50 apparently, on 50. with guns involved, dude. That's a, a fight war. that was so intense, local, local police forces had to fall back and wait for the gunfire to eventually diminish before they could even move back into the area and try to regain control. So they're just wow. standing back like, let's just let them tire each other out. Let's just let each them other kill out. each other. Let's let them wait for the run out of ammunition eventually right? before we go in. <laughs> we'll just go clean up the bodies. They'll take care of half right. of each other. Yeah. Good Lord. And there's people trying to raise children in these areas. This is amazing. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Of course the kids start their own little gangs, dude. Like, look what they're around. Shit. Right? That's all there was. Yeah. After all of the shooting with, and with almost 100 men involved in the gunfire, there were actually only three deaths that occurred during the gunfight, which lasted for several hours. So Hit apparently shots, they had the accuracy fellas. of a stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about. <laughs> Fucking bullets going everywhere, I mean. not hitting anything. Hit your shots, fellas. Damn, it's not intimidating right. at all. <laughs> Those old six shooters, though, if you were beyond like six feet, you ain't hitting nothing. Yeah. Every bullet goes a different direction. Uh, yeah. It pulls to the right sometimes. <laughs> right. Uh, in a humorous turn of events, the public was so outraged by the warfare between the gangs that they demanded that they find a way to settle their differences. And after a short time of peace, more fighting broke out, which led to the two leaders of the gangs, Paul Kelly and Monk Eastman, to challenge each other to a bare-knuckle boxing match for control over the area. I like However, this. I like this idea, actually. Hell yeah, man. This is hell a great yeah. idea. This is how gangs should settle shit now. Who's the leader? Who's the best fighter? Bring them out. 
Let's do yep. this shit. You know, and everybody lives to fight another day, right? Like Friday. Put these yep. up. This is what makes you a man. But you live. You live <laughs> to find another day. That's right. What a, what a, a legendary character in film. Right yeah, there. John Man, Witherspoon. Father Friday is the best. Yeah. Yep. I grab a dog. And Rest I choke in him. peace. It's my pleasure. I choke him. <laughs> one of the funniest scenes just, I've ever seen in a movie. Just putting my foot up a dog's ass all day long. <laughs> all day long. Put my foot up a dog's ass. <laughs> oh, the best. Love best. Friday. It's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this this uh, bare knuckle match that yeah. that supposedly went down. Uh, however, this gentlemanly method of solving their territorial dispute uh, was all in vain as both men succeeding in only beating each other senselessly to, the, to where neither of them could continue. So no knockout blow was served right. and the fight was ruled a draw by the gangs and the gangs were still at war. It's like, damn, damn it. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you do a rock, paper, scissors while you're both laying on the ground or some shit? Like, come on, let's settle this. I know, right? Right? God. Um, the warfare wouldn't last much longer, however. Once the political machine that was Tammy Hall... Uh, Tammany Hall decided to back Kelly and the Five Points gang. Eastman's crew was more or less pushed out or absorbed into Kelly's operation. And so the Five Points gang became the um, basically the rulers of the area. Yeah. Um, and they were running most of New York rackets and other criminal activities. Like, uh, And men like Johnny Torrio looking to make a name for themselves. The stage was set for a young and up-and-coming tough guy named Al Capone to make his debut onto the scene. So basically Al teamed up and made the right connection with Johnny Torrio. Yeah. It sounds like that's really like a big part of his success was connecting himself to this guy and kind of being his muscle in a sense and just being mm -hmm. a guy that would do anything asked of him. Um, yeah. And do you think his uh, way through the ranks because of that? I think it had a little bit to do with um, as far as um, Torrio or what was his name, last name again? Oh my gosh. Johnny Torrio? Yeah, Torrio. I don't know why I thought I said it wrong, but Torrio was from the same area as Al Capone's mm -hmm. family from Italy. Like yeah. he was from okay. he was from the Naples area as well. And mm -hmm. so I think Al kind of looked up to him kind of like a father figure. You know, maybe yeah. somebody who agreed with the way that he wanted to live life, but yet still had a lot of the same Italian customs. So I think mm -hmm. it was probably a, a pretty quick relationship right there. Whereas yeah. Capone's dad was a barber and, you know, more of a straight-laced type figure. But maybe this guy kind of reminded him of his father. Morning. Ever wonder what terrible thing happened on this day in true crime history? My name is Karina Bemisterfer, writer and host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast that dives into what murder took place on today's date in history. With over 500 episodes about serial killers, murderers, cults, and cold cases, there is always something new for you to enjoy. Morning Cup of Murder is the perfect addition to your morning routine. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, start your day with a Morning Cup of Murder. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen, and come say hi on social media at Morning Cup of Murder. Oh, and remember, stay safe. So let's get into Capone's kind of uh, the beginning of his rise and cutting his teeth in the crime world. He'd become a member of the Five Points Gang by the age of 16 years old, and the first started working under them uh, under the young mobster named Francesco uh, Ioli or more commonly known as Frankie Yale. Capone was working for Yale as a bouncer slash bartender at a saloon called the Harvard Inn while he was first trying to get his foot in the door with the Five Points Gang. And it was then in 1917 that Capone would have a run-in with a local street goon named Frank Galluccio. Mm -hmm. um, and Capone was never really 
uh, known to be a cautious person around, you know, the way he said things, he was very brash, right. no filter type of guy. Um, and he was working at the bar that night and started making eyes with Galuccio's sister from across the room. Uh-oh. And this is how he becomes Scarface. Yep. You haven't caught there on we, yet. He would, uh, he would then approach, uh, uh, his sister and start making advances toward her, which she quickly rejected. And as again, uh, he's just a 17 year old kid who thinks he's funny. And <laughs> as the story goes, Frank had just about had enough of Al's hitting on his sister that night. And just as he was about to tell him to knock it off the, for the final time, Al reportedly leaned into his sister to say, honey, you got a real nice ass. And I mean that as a compliment, believe me. <laughs> upon hearing this frank lost his shit and apparently told al that he is going to apologize to his sister or else yep. al began to laugh at how upset frank was getting and opened his arms up to him to say oh come on buddy i'm only joking obviously frank wasn't joking however with al and he was still laughing with his arms out when frank quickly pulled out a knife and slashed capone three times across the left side of his face dude if you're gonna say grown man shit you suffer grown man consequences <laughs> yeah man if you know you're you're only 17 uh, approaching uh, a combative man don't walk towards them smiling with your arms open generally <laughs> speaking on. that's a bad idea <laughs> typically you're just gonna get sucker punched or right? you know not even sucker punched at that point if you've already picked a fight with them like yeah. Keep your hands up. Or exactly. even better, you get slashed in the face three times with a fucking knife if it's, uh, you know, God. 1920s New York or whatever year it three was. Three times, dude? Imagine how fast he must have been. Like, what What happens after that first slice? Because they were all on the same side, right? It wasn't like yeah. he was like, shh, 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 shh. No, he was like, right. shh, 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 So, yeah. how the fuck did that go down? He must have, like, had him on the ground and was sending a message or well, something Capone, like Capone, like we said, was smiling with his arms open, so maybe it was just a... You know, just a rapid fire slashing. Apparently, know. it's just so weird yeah. that all the all the slices were in the same area, but it was three of them. It's just right. It's weird to imagine how that went down. Yeah, maybe he had spent some time with Bill the Butcher. I don't know. Had some knife yeah, skills. Really. Yeah, I think everybody really. had knife skills during this time, right? I think that was required. Yeah, that was just part of growing up. You had to yeah. have some knife skills. You got your first knife at like six, right? They taught yeah. you how to sharpen it, <laughs> to carry it. Yeah, you stab your nice first sheath. person by seven. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Capone was uh, was clearly embarrassed by this whole incident, and for the rest of his life, he would do the best to hide his scars on his cheek from photographs and reporters. I was looking at pictures of Capone. I'm like, okay, how obvious are these scars? There, There's not many shots where you can really see them. There, he nope. did disguise them well, and obviously as scars get, you know, as time goes on and you've had them for a longer time, they get more pale. Like, mm -hmm. I know this, I have a lot of scars. My yeah. older scars, you can barely see them. They get to where they're very pale colored, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm I have pale skin tone to begin with. But um, yeah, well, I think like, mo most scars go lighter. You know, as that scar yeah. tissue heals, you have that lighter mark, regardless of your skin tone, um, because mm. that that skin's never going to heal again. You know, just like with fighters, you, as you know, when their face gets cut open on those scars, yeah. that tissue is forever thinner. It's so it's forever yeah. going to be a different shade. You know, mm. but yeah, I'm sure he did try to hide them, but it's he hit them pretty well. But I mean, you could do that just by, you know, turning your face in pictures or whatever for different profiles, yeah. which I'm sure he was very aware of because he, he was very concerned about the way he looked and the way he portrayed himself. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, you know, a different type of uh, person or a different type of, you know, guy in this situation that he's in, the position he's in, if it, his persona, he wanted it clearly to be more of a professional good guy type of mm -hmm. where I would have... If I'm in the, if I'm embracing the crime world, I'm gonna go with this, and embrace the Scarface 
thing, yeah. you know, and be like, look at me, I've been through shit. You want to fuck with me? Like, right. uh, <laughs> I'd be showing right. those scars off. Right, right. But but I don't know when when you're feeling the heat, when you're in the in the spotlight like that, maybe it is smarter. Well, I know it's smarter to portray yourself as like an established businessman, yeah. and that's what he would well, always yeah, tell people. You know, what do you do? Well, I'm in business. You know, I'm a businessman. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm smart. in sanitation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'm in antiques. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He didn't ever want to be called uh, Scarface. Uh, that was like, any, I, I imagine you wouldn't want to call him that to his face unless mm. you were real close to him. Right. Right. Um. So Al, after Al finally uh, gave us the answer to why I uh, want to know how I got these scars, Yale actually made Al want to uh, be the one to apologize to both Frank Galluccio and his sister for his rudeness. So he was forced to apologize even after being slashed in the face three times. Yeah. And later in his life, Capone would hire Frank Galluccio, the very man who gave him those hated scars, to be his personal one of his personal bodyguards, which is just so Capone of him. I know. You know, like we'll, we'll talk later about this reporter that exposed one of his racketeers uh, racketeering enterprises and would not get paid off by Capone would was would not play ball and Capone almost had him beat to death and then paid for his medical bills like it's just <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to wonder did he have that type of personality where he just didn't like to be not liked you know yeah it's like yeah. even somebody that he despised like he wanted them to like him still at least a little bit well or at I, least I think he was like a decent person well, everybody has a yin and a yang, right? So the more yeah. extreme your yin, the more extreme your yang must be. So like the average good person walking around is not paying for other people's medical bills, but they're also not putting people in the hospital. So, you know, it's yin and yang. Yeah. You know, he's, right. <laughs> he's, got, he's got to do Sweet great and sour, things. like that commercial, you know, with the yeah, candies where they like slap you and then give you a kiss or whatever. Yeah, that's Al Capone. He's a Sour Patch Kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it was the following year in December of 1918 that Capone would finally mar- would, would marry the woman who would remain uh, his wife for the rest of his life and through his rise and fall, May Josephine Coughlin. May was an Irish Catholic woman who, was ju- uh, who just a month earlier would give birth to their son, Albert Francis Capone, or Sonny. Makes you wonder if there, you know, there was connect- there's a little uh, Easter eggs you notice throughout different mob films and things like that. And uh-huh. Sonny, I believe, was the oldest son of uh, Don Corleone in The Godfather. His oldest son was named Sonny. Well, there you and go. You have to wonder if that was a little coup de grace to old Capone there. It definitely is. Um, it definitely is. And Sonny would be Al's first and only child, and he would lose most of his hearing in his left ear early in his youth. And mm-hmm. not much is known about the marriage of Al and, and May Capone, other than they both seemed happy together despite Al's criminal endeavors and future kingpinning. So... You know, he had his home life and his right. work life. Very common in the the mobster world. A lot of them, a lot of them uh, have long lasting marriages that, that just work, and there's an understanding that they're gonna be out doing yeah. their thing. Well, I think when Probably they find on them, and when they find that one woman that just is okay with that lifestyle, you know, they're yeah. up front, just like Pablo Escobar. His same mm-hmm. thing with his wife. He had such this. He had an amazing home life, right? He he. In all intensive purposes, at least yeah. according to Narcos and a lot of the things you read, he was an amazing father, and yeah. and husband. I mean, I mean, other than you know, probably a little bit of infidelity here and there, but that came with the lifestyle. I think of them people, yeah. but overall, they they made those dedication to those women too, and they took care of them forever. Yeah, yeah, it was a partnership. Yeah. And when Al got married to May, they were still so young that he actually had to get permission from his parents to get married because uh, <laughs> at the time he was still considered underage and needed written consent to get married. God. But, uh, yeah. 
So he, he now had this family that he had to start earning a living for and providing mm-hmm. for. And he was already starting to rack up an impressive resume of both shady and violent crimes. And by the age of 21, he had already uh, had several violent encounter encounters under his belt. Most notably, a night when he shot and killed a man over a craps game and stole all the winnings. This would never be prosecuted as Capone was questioned for the crime, but as there was conveniently no witnesses, he was let go. So we mentioned that earlier, you know, the people aren't willing to play ball with law enforcement. Uh-uh. Uh, and it's just basically, you know, your word versus theirs or whatever. Right. And the, the other guy's dead and so, witnesses aren't willing to talk. What are you supposed to do? Right. So what is this? A one-on-one craps game? There was nobody else there? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> That's how terrified everybody was of him, man. Right. Nobody yeah. was going to turn him turn his ass in. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be stated that uh, Al did one time try to go on the straight and narrow uh, for his new family. He took a job in Baltimore as a bookkeeper for a small construction company where he would gain a first his first bit of experience with finances and knowledge on how to manage them, which mm-hmm. would later help him with his enterprise. Mm, nice. But uh, after Capone's father, Gabriel, passed away from a heart attack in 1920, the young and hungry Al decided that he needed to do something more substantial with his life. So he would have a more uh, something more lasting to leave behind, mm-hmm. um, and you just can't imagine him working a real nine to five with his personality for very long, especially already having had a taste yeah. of the crime life and what it can offer for you. I know, like, right? Sitting around in a nine to five, it just not it was never going to work for him. You have to wonder if if this uh, this sudden urge to go straight came from his father, and then it's no coincidence that his father would die, and then he would mm-hmm. go back to crime. You know, it's like. Yeah. Because I think I feel like every son who has a, who has a decent father growing up, even just a decent father that was there for you, yeah. you you want to make them proud. There is a and daughters too, you know, kids. You want to make your parents proud. If if your parents weren't, that's assholes. one of the reasons I I love the Bronx Tale, man. That have you ever seen that movie? I haven't. No, it's such a good film. And and, and the, some of the stuff we're talking about. So in that film, um, Robert De Niro is this young man's father, and he's just a straight narrow guy. He, like he drives a bus for a living, just a blue collar you know, family man. Yeah. And his son gets, because of the neighborhood he's in, he gets connected to a mobster guy who also has this good guy persona in the streets, but also is like a monster at times. Right. Know, has people killed and all that stuff. And he's drawn into that lifestyle while De Niro, his father's trying to keep him reined in, knowing what he's out there doing. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. It's a great it, movie. I feel like that's a very common story for this period yeah. in American history. Yeah. That's yeah. a very common story. You see it in the beginning of Goodfellas too, right? Yeah. You, know, you see uh, Ray Liotta's father is like trying to keep him going to school. Meanwhile, yep. all the mobsters in the neighborhood are having him run shit for him. And dude, so common. His father finds out he hasn't been going to school and beats the shit out of him. And, yep. And that same shit is happening in the ghettos right now, and and, and all types of people. Yeah. Even organized oh, yeah. crime now. Absolutely. You know, it's happening all over. Yeah, all Absolutely. over areas of high crime. It's kids are sucked into it. How could you not be? And then the parents are trying to, you know. Yep. Those of them that have good parents are trying to keep them reined in and away from the bad influences, but it's got to be nearly impossible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you got to go to work, you know, 40 hours a week minimum right. to put food on the table. You can yeah, only be around them so much. You can't be with them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. <clears throat> so it was around this time in 1920 that Capone was invited to Chicago by his longtime mentor and friend, Johnny Torrio. Torrio had moved to the Windy City in the years prior and had begun to make a name for himself running brothels and assisting with the bootlegging operations that were starting to pick up all around the country. Capone, who was already under suspicion for at least one murder uh, after his crafts game debacle, was sent to Chicago by Frankie Yale, not only to help out Johnny Torrio, but to basically fly under the radar for a bit. As we mentioned, mm-hmm. he was under suspicion for that murder at the craps game, among other things. Mm-hmm. And so that was part of him being sent to Chicago also was to get the heat off of him from 
back in New York. Um, right, right. So now with uh, Al chomping at the bit for more action and responsibility within the gang, he jumps into the opportunity to head out to Chicago to work under his mentor and hopefully begin making a name for himself as well. And um, so, yeah, it was it was 1909 when Johnny Torrio had moved to Chicago and started working in the incredibly large brothel scene that had spanned the streets of Chicago. And uh, Chicago at this time was mostly run by crime boss Big Jim Colosimo, Colos- uh, who was an Italian immigrant who had moved his way up through the underbelly of Chicago through petty crime and pimping until finally he owned and operated multiple brothels, saloons, and even a nightclub. But... Uh, he had been the one who had recruited Jimmy, uh, Johnny Torrio to come mm-hmm. to work in Chicago with him and over, uh, over, see, oversee the hundreds of brothels and gambling rackets as well. A ton of money to be made in the right. CD underbelly of Chicago at the time. The only problem with Big Jim, though, was that for some reason he refused to get involved in bootlegging after the onset of pro- Prohibition. And to guys like Torrio and Capone, bootlegging was where the fortunes were to be made, which very much reminds me of The Godfather, which I was watching the other day. Yeah. When Don Corleone was reluctant in the beginning of the movie to get into the narcotics game, you know, he thought that they were above that, that that was, you know, yep. drugs were not something they wanted to be, he wanted to be involved with and right. ultimately kicked off a war between the different families and mm-hmm. kind of what the whole film's about. But he was in the old school way of thinking like, but then the, the younger school people were like, this is where all the money's going with, this is where the future is. We need to get into it. Even his, uh, um, co- his confidant and his, you know, Kind of his right hand man was telling him we need to get into it before the other the others do or else they're going to overtake us they're going to get more influence and all that yep yep more money so more that power. same year yeah so that same year that capone moved down to chicago he immediately started to make himself known to the area never wanted to be have his mouth shut as we mentioned al quickly began gaining attention as a rebel rouser and heavy drinker his first actual arrest was in 1920 for hitting a parked cab uh, parked taxi while drunk driving Luckily for him, however, Torrio's political connections were able to get him off, not only for the DUI, but for the alcohol, which was illegal itself as well. So it wasn't your typical DUI. It was like, you know, he was, he's also like, was clearly under the influence of something that was completely illegal to have at all. So yeah. Yep. Yep. So they threw the book at him? Yeah, not. He he had too much, uh, too much connections. He got off on that one. They tried to. So. Yeah. So when Al first arrived in Chicago, he started working as a bouncer and bookkeeper for Torrio at one of his many brothels, one called the Four Deuces. And it's believed that uh, it was during this time that Capone actually met his eventual killer, your, your friend and mine, good old Syphilis. So <laughs> maybe using not the services that he was uh, overseeing, these brothels all, also partaking. You're not supposed to uh, uh, get high on your own supply, right? And uh huh. he was uh, do metaphorically that. doing such... such uh, dabbling with the mm-hmm. sex workers and getting himself a nice long lifelong disease there. Yep. Conflict of interest there too. Yeah. So Al's family had not yet made the journey down to Chicago. So as a man in his very early twenties working in a brothel surrounded by sex workers, you can imagine how he obtained syphilis, you know, right. I, I can gather a few ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go into extreme detail like the, yeah, uh, I think we get it. Uh, yeah, Patreon episode with the semen soaked uh, blasting. <laughs> right, I think we had enough of that. Yeah, there was none of that going so, on though. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, no need no, for no. that. Pretty sure Capone's uh, member worked just fine. Yeah. <clears throat> Once making a bit more money for himself and his family, Al would not uh, would not only move his new wife and son to live with him in Chicago, but also his mother, sister, and younger brothers to a modest suburban home in Chicago's South Side. 
And Capone was always doting uh, on his family outside for everyone else to see. He was very much about his public image as his career would continue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, wanted, wanted that persona of a good guy, family guy who was uh, helping the people, you know. Absolutely. If you can keep your public opinion tight, man, you can do yeah. a lot. You really can, especially during this time. Um, it was also in 1920, the same year that Capone had arrived in Chicago, that crime that the crime boss Big Jim Colosimo uh, would be assassinated by an unknown assailant, and mm. you know, quote, quote have, unknown. But we get more yeah. detail and more speculation as to who of this could have been. Uh, it can't be proven, but it's highly speculated that with the onset of prohibition hitting the streets in America, the criminal organizations began to see massive profits in the production and distribution of alcohol. And with the crime boss like Jim Colosimo refusing to get involved in this uh, untouched well of money, underbosses like Joe Torrio would have had their eyes on the real prize and will always find a way to make the old guard disappear. And again, this right. is unable to be uh, proven, but most researchers and people uh, close to you know studying this actually believe that Joe Torrio ordered the hit on on Big Jim uh, so that he could take over as boss of the Chicago territory. And it's speculated that the man that he got to carry out the hit was none other than his young protege, Al Capone. So Al Capone may have been the man to take out Big Jim, right? which would ultimately benefit and him greatly. I was about to say. Ultimately he, to him becoming the boss. At, right, that's what I was about to say. He had motivation because he had his eyes on that spot. Yeah, he goes to number two, right? If this guy's yep. taken out and his, his guy above him... Torio goes mm -hmm. to number one, and he's he's right there. One and step Torio away. owes him big time because he wouldn't be number one without Al Capone. Yeah, right. So Capone uh, has already been suspected of at least one killing by this point in his life, and it's uh, it is nowhere out of the realm of possibility that he was also the man to pull the trigger on Big Jim Colosimo. And if he was not the exact one to kill Big Jim, it's also even safer bet to say that he was probably involved. Mm -hmm. But now with Big Jim out of the way, the path was cleared for Joe Torrio and his young apprentice to take the city by storm. And with the onset of prohibition, there was untold amounts of money to be made in the booze business. And it didn't take long after the death of Big Jim for them to get into that business and fully take control as the main head of Chicago crime world. And as his right man during all of this, uh, it would be Scarface himself. Uh, yep. Perfect. So by 19... By 1922, Capone would basically call himself the underboss to Joe Torrio of Chicago, having worked his way up through the brothels and speakeasies and also helping his boss take out his opposition. Al was finally able to start making a name for himself like he'd always wanted. And with the further onset of prohibition and the expansion of their operation into bootlegging, there seemed to be no limits for what Capone and Torrio could do in the Windy City. However, it was in 1923 that the pair ran into their first obstacle during their long road to kingship when an honest man took over as mayor of Chicago. Which is a interesting thing, <laughs> interesting collection of words. An honest mayor of Chicago. We haven't seen that in a while. Right? Yeah. Really. Honest so mayor. William, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Right. <laughs> in general. So William E. Denver began to crack down on the duo's criminal activities around the city, and in an attempt to avoid his scrutiny, Torrio decided it would be better for their growing organization if they relocated to their base of operations to the nearby town of Cicero. And this was all put in place by Capone and Al had already laid out all the groundwork for their initial transition by establishing multiple brothels, speakeasies, and, ga speakeasies and gambling halls around the small city of Cicero. Mm. So they move from Chicago to Cicero to avoid, you know, this, this mayor who was cracking down on organized crime and thought they could just basically run amok in this city and take it over, which right. was nearby Chicago. And there was still plenty of, mo of money to be made out there. Mm-hmm. 
So they made sure that they had all of the city's elected officials on his payroll in Cicero. And with Cicero paling in size to the beast that was Chicago, it didn't take very long for Capone and Torrio to basically have run over the town. But sadly, their paradise was going to be short-lived when another uh, mayoral elector, uh, elec election uh, was in place. And this time, in their new home of Cicero, uh, it began to threaten their operation once again. And they decided to take matters into their own hands this time with this election. Uh-oh. Uh, for this election, Torrio and Capone were less afraid of the small-town officials and decided that instead of leaving town again, they would organize an intimidation campaign on the day of the election to try and sway voters either over the, to their side or away from the ballot boxes altogether. They're pulling some like old 1800s shit. Like they're like a right. uh, strong you know, army this, people that come to vote. Yeah, like <laughs> this reminds me this reminds me of like the the time of like when Edgar Allan Poe was alive. You know, people say that this is how he died somebody because like these mobsters and these these gangs would recruit these people to vote how they wanted right but they would take them and get them like super drunk and then they would throw them in the voting booth and say you're going to vote this or whatever and then they would beat the shit out of them leave them in the street if they didn't or whatever yeah and it's it's speculated that that's how edgar Allan poe died he got picked up by one of these gangs and he was wow he was incredibly like adverse to alcohol like he could not drink like one mm. sip and he's like plastered he's lightweight yes so they got him incredibly drunk and it's speculated he passed out in the damn street and died like it's pretty wow. crazy it, if you look into it yeah we covered it on uh on one of the sandu stories we covered a, an instance that was very close to that we kind of speculated on what happened to him but yeah pretty mm -hmm. crazy <clears throat> yeah yeah so they're, they're tampering now with this election, and the, pa the tactic proved deadly for the arrogant crime bosses. When police showed up to regain control of the voting areas and push back the gang's thugs, several people were shot and killed, including several innocent bystanders, and more importantly to Al, his younger brother Frank was gunned down in the chaos. Uh-oh. So he loses his younger brother, who's clearly on his side as far as this whole you know crime lifestyle. His, mm -hmm. it, he has the older brother who's on the other side of the law. Yeah. And then his younger brother who's following in his footsteps, it seems. And he's ended up gunned, yeah. da gunned down as a, you know, a street thug involved in this. You know what I was thinking? You know, he had seven siblings, right? Counting him. Yeah. Um, I know one Lost of the... one at one year old. His, one of the daughters died, sister. I know. But yeah. you still have six. He's the fourth mm -hmm. one born. And the, the, the do-gooder, uh, Mr. Hart, Richard Hart, right? Who changed his name mm -hmm. to Richard Hart. He was the firstborn. Yeah. So... It, you know, if you're the fourth born and first born, there probably weren't very close in the first place. Like the the first born was probably already heading out of the house by the time yeah. Capone was born. By the time mm -hmm. Al Capone was born. So like they probably weren't that close, but the younger brothers probably looked up to him yeah. a lot more and kinda, you know, wanted to follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. I just thought about that. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, and, and like you said, the older brother, you know, skipped town and went west. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I mean, he was his influence wasn't around to keep the other siblings straight, and they exactly. had Al to look up to. Exactly. So, with the gang suffering a blow in the small town of Cicero, they would relocate back to Chicago in 1924, and it was during this transition period that Capone would take another life in an act of retaliation, murdering Joe Howard after Howard had allegedly assaulted one of Capone's good friends. And I got this uh, breakdown uh, of how this murder went down from a website called Chicagoology. Um, and it says, quote, Joe Howard leaned back in his chair behind the cigar case in Heine Jacobs Saloon on, at 23rd 
2300 South Wabash Avenue. The calendar on the wall behind the bar showed the date to be May 7th, 1923. The clock said six. Only a spoonful of bourbon remained in old Joe's class, and he sat down to tell the boys about his hijacking triumphs the night before last. Heine slouched across the wood. He, ate, he an aged carpenter named David Runzelbuck, and a mechanic named George Bilton sat near, uh, seated nearby, having a drink and smoke before going home for supper, were Joe's audience. The second heisting job was even more of a cinch than the first, Joe was saying, his eyes glistening with pride at an al- uh, and alcoholic blear. We took the punks right in front of their yard and was off in less than two minutes. At that instant, the, door sw- uh, the swinging doors swung inward from the street. Two men entered. One of them was familiar to Joe, and Joe stopped talking to greet him. Then things began to happen. As Runzelbuck remembered it, quote, Hello, Al, cried Joe, putting, putting out his hand. The man, spoke to, the man he spoke to stuck out his hand, but it held a revolver, and he fired six times. Joe killed over dead, still grinning. In a flash, the murderer and his partners disappeared out the door. Damn. Just so like Al just came in and shot him six times and walked out. Yep. The man, of course, knowing how big of a deal uh, Al Capone was, stood up to go greet him, and he was met with six shots without a word said. And that was that. Just cold-blooded. Damn. Savage. Yep. And, of course, this murder charge would not stick, as once the prosecutor, William McSquiggan, tried to get witnesses to testify, they all suddenly couldn't remember anything about that day. <laughs> a convenient that. solution to many mob boss cases <laughs> when it came to witnesses, either that or they just disappear. That's what happens. So, and you have yeah. to know that as a witness at that time. You can't time. blame them, dude. It's, it's life like, or death for them. The right. witnesses, like, to see these things, it's like you or your family you, could be killed if you or both. come clean about what you saw. Yeah, it's like either I forget it or I get killed. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot yeah, and it's like it. it's already done. The guy's dead. What are you going to do? Yeah. A lot of times, and I'm not going to say they deserved it, but they were involved in the same kind of world, the same understanding. A lot of times, yeah. That you could be killed if you fuck up. Yeah, they live by their own rules, man. They had their own morals and standards and code. Yeah. And it was later on in 1924 that Torrio and Capone would enlist their old friend Frankie Yale in a hit that would be carried out on the head of a rival gang, Dion O'Banion. O'Banion had risen to power within the growth of his own under, underground breweries and distilleries and now began to rival the strength of Torrio and Capone. He based his office out of a small flower shop on the north side of Chicago. And we get another reference to a film that I love. Uh, uh, on the morning of November 10th, 1924, three of Capone's men, including Yale, walked into O'Banion's flower shop under the guise of buying flowers. And one man reached out to shake Dion's hand and grasping it to hold him in place. The two others drew their pistols and shot O'Banion dead in his own shop. They said he still had flowers in his hands when, uh, you know, when they shot him, which reminded wow. me so much of the town. And I have to think that that film got the idea for, you know, a part of their movie uh, from this scene, where uh, this this character Fergus, who was over uh, the the main characters in this film, he was kind of the you know, the, the criminal enterprise leader. Right. He had a flower shop, and they and they end up killing him, uh, or at least uh, what's his name Ben? Can't think of the actor's name. Ends up killing him in his flower shop. Spoiler alert. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Another little Easter egg for you. Yeah. So as mentioned, Dion O'Banion was now a pretty powerful and popular guy. And at his funeral service, it was attended uh, by over 15,000 people. And of course, John Torrio and Al Capone would uh, be two of the attendees, even having been the guys that killed him. And I'm sure the word had gotten out that they were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd come to basically rub it in the faces of O'Banion's gang. 
this would ultimately not be the brightest move on the part of Torrio and Capone, and it would taunt the associates of O'Banion into trying to get retribution. It seemed as though Capone may have sensed this a little bit more than Torrio did, or maybe Torrio had gotten a little too relaxed as he had gotten older, but Capone began to beef up his security at all times, including more armed bodyguards and even uh, buying a bulletproof Cadillac to ride around in. This Cadillac was badass. I seen some pictures of this thing, dude. The bulletproof Cadillac, not only was it bulletproof, he also had holes cut in random places where you could slide a, a Tommy gun barrel out of them and shoot back at people. No way. Yes. This thing was like, it was like the original pimped ride, dude. Like, this thing was badass. I see a picture of this thing. Just look up a 19, uh, what was it, 1928? Yeah, of course. It's like uh, billiards green, too. Oh, dude, it's gorgeous. It's car. badass. Right? I didn't yeah, even know they had cool. Cadillacs in the in the late 20s. When I looked this up, I was like, damn, he drove a Cadillac? It wasn't like a Ford? Like <laughs> that, thing, that thing had to have been so heavy. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> had yeah. Had to have been so heavy. You know it, you know it, dude. I mean, just to have a bulletproof car back then is impressive, right? Just in general, yeah. So they they uh, they kill this this powerful guy. They go to his uh, funeral and rub it in to his gang, and you know Capone being being pretty uh, savvy, he he beefed up his security. Torrio, however, basically did nothing to change up his schedule or even add to his security. Mm. And it was because of this lack of defense or planning on the part of Torrio that on January 24th, 1925, he was attacked by two of O'Banion's former associates, Jaime Weiss and Bugs Moran, and shot three times. Torrio would survive the assassination attempt in the moment, but during his hospitalization afterwards, he would be convicted of bootlegging and spend nine months in jail for the crime. And it would be during this short jail stint that Torrio would have to do uh, that he would reconsider his lifestyle and, and make some changes, which would ultimately see Capone in the in the throne. Yep. Possibly seeing that there was no way out of this life other than violence or maybe just being scared after his near-death experience, Torrio would call Capone to speak with him at the jail. Torrio had decided that he wanted out and that he wanted to retire peacefully. He would unceremoniously bequeath all of his territory and criminal operations from behind bars into the syphilis-ridden hands of the scar-faced little protege. <laughs> <laughs> so Capone, well put, Andy. <laughs> Capone, yeah, Capone got the nod, man. He got the spot. That's right. That's right. Le, uh, drippy dick and all, he got the spot. That's right. He got it. Um, and so with O'Banion now dead and John Torrio riding off into the Italian sunset, Chicago was left under the rule of the newly appointed crime boss and future brain dead swimming pool fishing doughboy, Alphonse Capone. <laughs> and that is where we'll, we will, that's where we will leave off part one of our Al Capone series. All yes. of the competition has been taken out. The old boss was handed over the wheel. And next we will content, next week we will continue with Capone's reign over Chicago, his unlikely demise at the hands of the Treasury Department and mm-hmm. his eventual slow and physical decay at the hands of syphilis. That's right. So come back next week when we finish out our series on the OG of OGs, Al Snorky Capone. That's right. Thank you guys for taking going on this ride with us in our bulletproof Cadillac. That's right. We will continue cruising in next week for part two. And if you guys wanna wanna be as snorky as possible, you gotta smell good too, right? That's right. Don't you gotta smell good if you're gonna be snorky? That should be a scent. Wendy, get yeah, on it. We need snorky a snorky scent. scent. <laughs> what it smells like cigars and leather or some shit. I don't know. But yes. uh, yeah, we're t- if you guys don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. 
And guys, like we alluded to, there's there's tons of scents to choose from, uh, from vanilla to cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, uh, Egyptian musk. That's what I'm wearing today. Coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, another one of my favorites. And maybe, you know, definitely top three, you got true crime pine, right? The scent that was made just for true crime guys. Uh, if you guys that's don't know right. where to start, that's a great place. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. Creeper. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order. And that's at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, you won't regret it. You'll be supporting a small business and you'll be putting healthy, organic, all natural deodorant in your armpits instead of aluminum. All right. That's right. And speaking of small businesses and healthy and organic, let's talk about Tonic CBD. Mm-hmm. Tonic Craft cultivates their own hemp on their on their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully and selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your mind and body. They have uh, different blends. They, they put things like black seed oil into their blends, uh, which is an antioxidant powerhouse, great mm-hmm. for your immune system. Um, and it's easy to verify the quality of their products as well. You tap your phone on the top of the packaging and it brings up third-party revo- uh, third lab reports, product information, details about their farm, even helpful blog posts to help you uh, educate yourself on CBD. Right. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to create a plant-based wellness products that are good for the people and good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to get 20% off by using the code word creeper. That's tonicvibes.com. Use code word creeper for 20% off your order. Guys, I, I love this this company. I love these products. We use them daily. Every they day. They help us stay healthy and feel good. Mind and body, it's it really, if you haven't tried it, it's worth a shot. Yes. And uh, we've mentioned in the past that it, it does not get you high if you're worried about that. Um, there's no, no. Uh, you know, psychoactive, uh, there's no THC in it, so you're good. That's right. That's right. There's also a vape cartridge as well. Um, if yes. you guys do enjoy vape or, you know, if you have a habit, you'd like to just smoke something or you'd like to have something on the go that's completely good for legal. instant relief if you're just yes. feeling anxious too, you know? Yes, absolutely. And this is completely legal in all states in America or whatnot. It's just CBD, guys. And, you yeah. know, it's great that you can take that pen with you if you're feeling a little anxious at the grocery store or whatever, you know, you could take a hit. And walk in like it's it Bada is great bing. to have it on it. It's great to have it on you. It really is. That's right. All right. Uh, what do right. you want to talk, talk about? Talk about Patreon. Let's do it, man. Uh, Patreon.com/slash True Crime Guys. Guys, if you don't know by now, that is where you can get access to everything that we make here on True Crime Guys Network, and we release a show almost every single day, almost every single day of the week. Um, you get access to strange shorts that me and Andy do. Andy, who wrote this timeline, has been writing some of our timelines here recently. Uh, he also writes for Sandu Stories. Uh, me and him do a little funny, little fun, you know, more current crimes and odd news and things like that show. It's called Strange Shorts, and we do that every single Monday on Patreon. Um, you can you can listen to a few of those on the free platform on the uh, Strange and Unexplained channel on wherever you listen to podcasts. We release every fourth episode for free so you guys can check that out um, but you get strange shorts every monday um, of course you get just the banter with me and lauren which we're going to record right after this we record now on mondays and those episodes come up on fridays you get just the banter to start your weekend 
So on Sundays, you can look for a participation post. This week, it's going to be an open mic. So in two days, you guys will hear us answer questions from patrons and comments and all sorts of things like that. Um, and then on Saturday, you get access to Lauren's 5-Minute Murder Show with video uh, every single Saturday. Uh, you also got Higher Thoughts sprinkled in there, um, as well as Sandu Stories once a month and the TCG Patreon exclusive once a month, which will be coming up in, I think, about two weeks. I think we have another Patreon exclusive. So next week, we'll have part two of Al Capone, and then the next week uh, will be only on Patreon here on TCG. Again, that's uh, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. There's a link to everything True Crime Guys. We right have not below. changed our pricing, even <laughs> with the rampant inflation that's going on. It's still... Even with inflation. You still can't beat two bucks a month to get the once a month Patreon exclusive episode or five bucks a month to get everything. Everything. That we create. Everything. Yeah, oh, so. one more thing. Uh, on the $2 tier, uh, you will have access to old episodes of True Crime Guys once they will be taking off. Some of our oldest episodes, yeah. starting with episode one, obviously. You get access uh, to the vault. You yes, know. the vault. They will be start going. They will start going into the vault on July first. One episode a day up into up until episode fifty. So those first fifty episodes will be going into the vault over the course of July into August. Those so, op- those episodes are hidden where Capone held, uh, hid his money, and you can get the, <laughs> the code to the safe. You know, yes. with uh, with your five dollar a month pledge. Right. Right. Exactly. All, All right. right. What else Let's, we got? Let's uh, get to some quick uh, reviews. We got some really nice long reviews here. A okay. few of them to go over. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to go and write those. And Absolutely. even if you just go click five stars, it helps the show as well. But I want to thank uh, Maisky Mayhem in the United States. Says so awesome, such a great podcast. While there are moments of humor, the material is always well researched and respectful to the families, uh, the victims and their families. Their rapport is so entertaining, and always love the musical spots by Michael. In addition to the constant entertainment, I am also a devotee to Oh My Gaia. Needless to say, you guys have helped me improve my life on a couple different levels. Keep creeping, Meredith. Thank you, Meredith. That's right a really on. thoughtful, nice. Yeah, uh, thank you there, and thanks for supporting our sponsors as well. Yes. And then we have Miss Mortician 16, who says, uh, and she's from also from the U.S., says, so worth my time. I absolutely love True Grime, guys. You guys have gotten me through some tough days with your wit, humor, and knowledge about each case. The love that you acknowledge the less popular cases. Thank you both for taking the time to do these shows. It's much appreciated. Thank you, Miss Mortician. Right on. Then we have Cabo D uh, in the U.S. says, fun, guys. I listen to a variety of podcasts. These guys make murder kind of fun. They are just res- <laughs> They are respectful to the victims and their families. No yelling, Nancy Grace. Just right. keep uh, pleasant, just pleasant giggles to get to put uh, to put me to sleep for bedtime stories. There you go. Thank you very much, Cabo D. And thank you to anyone who has gone taking the time to rate and review. Whether mm-hmm. it's on Spotify, if you go and click five stars, we've gotten quite a few of those. So I want to thank everyone for doing that. Right. Um, or if you do one on Apple or wherever you do it, thank all of you for Absolutely. sharing the show. Absolutely. We're still seeing yes. good growth, you know, on the show. We're getting more creepers by the mm-hmm. day. And that's thanks to all of you supporting the show. So, Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for sharing on social media. All yeah. that. All right. Is there anything else? Uh, I think don't that's think so. it. Right? We'll see you next week for that's part it. two. Let's go no. do Just the Banter. We're going to go do some Just the Banter now, guys. That's so, right. See you on the other side on Patreon. Yep. All right. Keep creeping, guys. All right. Keep creeping. See you next week for Component 2, baby. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. 
I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. You hush your mouth, boy.